Where do you two come from? From? Well, I suppose the best way to find out where you've come from is to find out where you're going and then work backwards. And welcome to the Whovian Review. I am Michael. I'm Shelby. I am Colin. And I'm here, also known as Jeremy. <laughs> and Jeremy's back! And tonight we're going to dive into the story City of Death, which is the second story from season 17, the penultimate Tom Baker uh, season. Whew. That was a mouthful. All right, yeah. So, I mean, first of all, there were a lot of gratuitous Paris shots. <laughs> if you're going to be in Paris, you gotta you gotta take the shots. You know, you gotta incorporate it. Honestly, I don't think it was too you know overwhelming. So what I'm gonna say, what probably happened here, and it's just a guess. BBC was always known for trying to use new text and everything else. I have a feeling they had a camcorder, like one of the or ones at that time, one of the new ones, because you can see the shakiness to it. It wasn't well mounted, and they're moving back and forth like this in very tight areas. So it wasn't a big camera either. I felt like, and I don't know if this is like modern age, like reworked, put on Blu-ray or mm. what, but it, it does seem like also like the quality was a little bit better, you know, in, in pictures that were not, you know, outside and in Paris kind of moving because throughout. Those, those well. are the big It does cameras. seem like different equipment. Yes, it was very much different camera equipment. You could tell it. Also, the lighting was different. And I just felt, I was like, they couldn't get away with that now because of all the rights to record in areas because they look like they were shooting where everyone else was. If, if it was just me or did anyone else feel that way? Like all those shots, like the train especially is like, I don't think everyone behind them is actors. No, the, they actually did film in Paris with regular uh, passersby and everybody had no clue what the heck was going on in Paris. That but also, okay, Did that include like in the cafe when all those people were coming in with guns and pointing no, out? No, that's no, a studio. No, no. That, that was a studio shot. We're, but we're definitely talking about like when people are like looking at the postcard and stuff outside as they're running by. Yeah, the, those are real people. I actually am wondering if... They were recording. Remember when when there was that one time where the postcard moved and cut cut half the the, the shot off, and then he had to like run around it. It looked like it was like a someone else was like just in Paris looking at postcards, knocked it over, and they're like, well, we can't do anything right now, so we're just gonna go like this. <laughs> I will say that this is the first time the Doctor Who actually filmed overseas. Um, so that was probably why they had so many Paris scenes. Overseas, it was oh, over the channel. Is this agree across the channel? <laughs> okay, you know, foreign lands, foreign lands. I mean, uh, they don't typically go to Paris. For I mean, it, yeah, yeah, they typically go to a quarry. <laughs> <laughs> or, or some quarry beach. 
Yes, I totally agree with that. <clears throat> any rate, uh, this story actually has quite a few wonderful cast members, but the first one of note is, of course, Julian Glover, who plays the Count. And Slash Scaroth. Scaroth. And he, of course... The last of the Jabberoth. Julian Glover is known for Empire Strikes Back, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Game of Thrones, among other things. He's pretty famous, I would say. Man, but when he has his hair growing out long, I mean, I wish I could grow my hair out that long. <laughs> <laughs> you should have seen me a few mo- uh, just like half a month ago. <laughs> um, but yeah, it just, uh, he, I think, was one of the better guest stars that Doctor Who's had. Because well, they had John Cleese. <laughs> Well, yeah, we had John Cleese in this, which we, and Eleanor Braun, who played the woman next to him, who was also famous. That was hilarious when they were, they were they were admiring the TARDIS as a work of art, and mm-hmm. don't even blink when it disappears in front of them. Yeah, they were like also admiring, like, mm, yes, it's just the fact that it's here is that it is really you know has the artistic impression, and then it was not. That that was based off the at the time, uh, probably a little bit close around the time is when Kitsch was starting to happen. Or oh, not to kitsch, but um, a couple other artists were just basically taking like beach balls and doing like regular pieces of junk, just throwing them into a, a art gallery and saying, "Look, now it's art." So that feel that was without his commentary towards it. it was absolutely hilarious and fits with the Monty Python kind of strategy. <laughs> uh, Eleanor Braun, by the way, who uh, was the lady admiring uh, the exquisiteness of the TARDIS, she actually comes back to Doctor Who in Revelation of the Daleks. She plays uh, Kara, quite, who gets stabbed in the end, of course. We've already rated that story. Um, at least, well, at least you and I have. You haven't, and neither have you. <laughs> Maybe we'll get to that eventually. None of them know who you're pointing at. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. I have not rated such things. Colin and Shelby have not rated that one. Um, but at any rate, uh, the so other things haven't changed a lot. <laughs> <laughs> no, things have not changed. I sometimes forget that this is audio. Really? <laughs> so what we should do is get you a blindfold. That way you have to think about us as though we're just voices in your head. Uh, let's Maybe you are voices. Maybe. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, all right. All right. Yeah. I mean, we have our own time machines too, as like delete buttons as well. You know, you, we could always cut things if needed, but. Mm. So what did you all think Never of Scaroth? <laughs> Scaroth, I thought, was a really interesting character. We see in this a lot. And really just kind of, like, melt, like was the plot as well, and it worked perfectly. Just kind of the concept of being shattered across time was interesting. The concept of this alien race having brought life to Earth was really interesting. And just the fact that, I mean, he was just really interesting in and of himself. I mean... I love that conversation with him and his wife where he's just sitting going, oh, yeah, all good, all good. Oh, you're just being paranoid. And then she mentions the bracelet's stolen, and it's all of a sudden anger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed. And, you know, then, you know, Scarth murders her mm-hmm. you know, right right afterwards. He's, he doesn't seem to be a, a, a great guy. <laughs> um, but but at the same time, you know, it, it seems like it's a it's a plight that, you know, is... is could be relatable. Like, if I was the last human and I had made a mistake and there was a way to bring back my species, seems like the thing to do. Seems like what what you'd be striving for. It makes sense. I mean, the poor guy has had a rough time of it, although I think he was being sent to Earth... Rough too many times of it all at once. 
Exactly. But I think, like me gets headaches. I mean, it was pretty lucky that, you know, when only 12 versions of him scattered across 400 million years of history, that so many of them happened, you know, really recently in history. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. We also have uh, Tom Chadbon in this, and he, of course, does come back for Trial of a Time Lord later on, but he plays Duggan, and I think Duggan is, goes down in the history of Doctor Who as being one of the greatest uh, side characters, one that a lot of people actually wish had stuck around for at least another cameo. Not many companions can just bust through brick walls like the Hulk. <laughs> just, you know, have a reliable right Ooh. arm and go through and utilize it. I want that fan fiction. Hulk vs. Duggan. <laughs> I think Duggan comes out on top, you know, four that times right out of ten. That yeah. right hook, he knocks everyone out. He's a one-punch man. Yeah. It's no wonder he doesn't the knock himself out. Punch. Yeah. Oh, my. Has it ever failed? I didn't see it on screen. No. And if he needs to get through anything, his shoulder just gets through anything. The door that was locked the, for the first episode, Duggan, Boom. breaks it down. What what awesomeness would it be if they had a Romana and Duggan show? Because I think those two had chemistry. The Not- most important punch in human history. <laughs> I mean, how many people would die if we had a Leela and Duggan combo? <laughs> <laughs> um, how many times would the doctor have to get crossed? Are we talking about net wives here? Or- <laughs> <laughs> I think it would be uh, quite a high body count, even larger than Resurrection of the Daleks. <laughs> Another story we haven't gotten to yet. Man, I keep bringing up these red stories. Yeah. But sometimes, you know, I feel like if, if the doctor just had somebody by his side with a really good punch, ready to go, you know, you'd probably save, you know, those three or four people that get picked off in many of these episodes. But then again, you have the doctor also who berates Duggan at all, all times for his fast-acting uh, fist. And, and what, what's he do near the end? One punches he got, one punches him right out. It raises it as the ultimate thing to have done. Well, and also the doctor brought him back in time, yeah. presumably because he knew that Duggan would swing first and ask questions never. <laughs> <laughs> that may be why he took him, yes. We have a third uh, really awesome character in Nikolai Kerensky, and unfortunately... Theodore Nikolai Kerensky. Theodore Nikolai Kerensky. Yes. Thank you for adding the I love my third boy name. Theodore. And in all of his ages and stages. I know. I, I always thought that they could just reverse the polarity like they did with the chicken and just bring him back to life. They probably could have if no one had moved him out of the thing. Ooh, yeah. Good point. I just feel like that was a, a wasted opportunity to put him to, to bring him back to life and then have him go and become a, a teacher somewhere. <laughs> well, then again, the other problem is it seemed like a big fire may have happened right after. Well, plus the machine blew up after yeah. Scarf. Oh, yeah. yes, exactly. And that... And that didn't help matters. But I just feel bad for him. I mean, he was he was a good character. Yeah, he was trying to solve world hunger. He, yeah, yeah, I mean, he was... And I mean, he's pretty loyal to the causes of, you know, the guy that killed him, too. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and, and it was kind of an interesting thing, too, just, like, the whole dynamic between him and the Count of him being like, I need to sleep, I need food, I need dress. And he's just like, yes, get him a vitamin and some food right here so he can keep working. Take the wine away, though. We need him awake. Yeah, we don't want him to fall asleep on the job. The huh. Countess was an interesting character. Yes, the beautiful Countess, played by Catherine Schell. She's apparently another famous British actress. 
Yeah, she's she's daring. She has the looks. She has mm-hmm. the connection to power and, and wealth. She has the cool music behind her, too. She <laughs> does, but also she doesn't see exactly what's going on for being so close to the situation. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that... Though, I think the doctor kind of nailed it that she was turning a blind eye to it. She was, you know, choosing to not see it. Didn't want to look further in because as soon as he pointed it out to her and she couldn't, you know, avoid thinking about it, she, she knew. the Egyptian scroll she had handily hidden away, I think, within a book? Yeah. <laughs> and Well, well they, they had all sorts of priceless artifacts yeah. <laughs> scattered well, I mean, around. Like, you have Being broken big, by you Duggan. Have one big book, right? That's like... It actually has stuff hidden in it. Next to the original manuscript of Hamlet and probably everything else that's just like just there. Yeah. The Gutenberg Bible. But you hid those two things in their own booklet. Six or seven Mona Lisa's. <laughs> well, I mean, it makes sense to hide those things because it had proof of Scarath and it has the like design plans for the pyramids. Mm-hmm. I would say that uh, this is does this is a Douglas Adams script, so there's a lot of his humor that was thrown in, especially so many good one-liners and so yeah, many Tom. And I think Tom Baker is pro- has props for me for having the best one-liners in this. I mean. Well, she's a beautiful woman, probably. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know. Scarlett had a good one with, oh, no one's as stupid as he seems. A <laughs> <laughs> simple line at the beginning that I just thought, like, oh, what a great perspective when a Romana asks, like, where are we going? And the question is, geologically or philosophically? <laughs> I also love... And they're going to lunch. You know, you don't need any, any more context <laughs> in those situations. Just... He's such a wonderful butler. He's so violent. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, that would be Herman the Butler, who actually had some spoken lines as well. He was the one that actually uh, did in Scaroth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He uh, was basically his henchman the whole time, and uh, a typical trope for sci-fi and these kind of uh, adventure films. He's the one that does them in the end. Yeah, but he like didn't know that he was doing in the Count. He just thought there was some monster that appeared here. Yeah, well, I mean, he was defending himself, defending Earth. Yeah. He wasn't wrong. He was a yeah. well, but he was a well-dressed monster. He was a well-dressed <laughs> That was quite an outfit, yes. Although I Well, say, I mean, his past self had a good outfit, too. Although, I'm going to really say his best was, I would like to get his bathrobe. Like, that was a really nice silk robe he had on that one, one time. I'll take the thumb screws. <laughs> well, a lot of artifacts, you know. I'd, I'd take his house, yeah. Let's take it off. Well, those chairs, it seems, were also very, very antique yeah yes <laughs> and Ming Dynasty vase and classy well, sadly we lost that one yeah <laughs> well probably water <laughs> you'd think with this time machine that he has he could actually take the vase and remend it just put it back in time a little who Scaroth oh well I well, mean with Kerensky's help probably. he's dead now so <laughs> Yeah, well, I know that, but I'm just saying, if he had to. have gotten it out of the bubble. Well, you, oh, yeah, you, you know what was interesting that they didn't uh, explore, and I guess that, like, who was it, Herman, their henchman guy? Butler. Like, Yeah, Butler kind of, you know, killed him before they got the chance, but, like, feasibly, they could have been like, okay, Scaroth, we can't take you back in time to have you rejoin with your former self then, but we could rejoin all of your parts now. Because <laughs> it seems like they could do that with that technology. 
Well, it would make sense to... I mean, yeah, the Time Lords could try and work it out, especially if Scaroth wasn't, like, a criminal. He well, did, I don't I, think he was. I think where it came down to is that Ramana and the Doctor didn't want to because they kept referring to the Jagroth as being a horrible warrior race. The universe is better without. True. And it was something that had always happened. A prejudiced of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they may have been able to work a deal with Scaroth if he was the only one left to say, hey, we'll let you live. And maybe one other, we can never find them. <laughs> but yeah, It seemed like they were open to, you know, a, ge- a genocide. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course, you know, I think you can technically have a genocide when you just have one left of the species. Right? I yeah, wouldn't say well, the doctor... No. But I wouldn't say the doctor was in charge of the genocide. He no. w- it was already something You're that right. had happened. He was trying to make sure that it ha- it did happen because that's right. He just a wanted fixed to make point. sure it really went through this genocide. He needed to make sure it, it happened and nothing was going to mess with it. Because it's supposed to be a fixed point in space. In yeah, it's supposed to be that fixed point. So I, I can see why it, the doctor doesn't want to kill off him it's just that he knows that he has to he has to let it happen sounds like a want to me yeah it actually it, 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 it was framed like a want throughout this whole story is the doctor never said this is a fixed point in time he you know never said that this has to you know happen just that you know basically that it should happen and that he wants it to happen i don't know i think well, when he's I, back in time he does actually state that this has to happen in order for the human race to exist oh, yes, for the says, human race to that. exist but he's but, he's decided that the human race is more important than uh, the jaguar personally i think the human race is more important too well, yeah me I'm too but you know but here's the one thing i will say he he probably didn't have to say it was fixed point in time because there have been fixed points in time they always have to deal with humans. So, True. if you were to do this, I would undo all those other fixed points and times, and then you get to really wildly time and stuff. Well, Fair. all the times that the humans have gone out into the universe and that have been, def- like, Leela wouldn't exist. So, I mean, there's a, there's, a, it, there's a very huge impact that it would have on the universe going forward since humanity is such a big part of it. The Jagaroth are not. They only lived way back when, 14 million years ago. So, it really... Plus million. 400 million years ago. Sorry. Uh, you're right. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just... not sure this timeline scales with biology today. Hmm. I have a feeling, like, I'm trying... I was When they said the 400 million, like, is, is that really... I don't think it is. I think that was accepted to be billions for oh, no, no. singular cell things. Yeah, no, I was trying to remember how far... I, I know that I think it was a long time, like... For some reason, it felt like only 400 million years ago, which is what this series does to you. Well, actually, this is what the last two years does to you. <laughs> 400 million doesn't seem that long anymore. <laughs> and that's where I was trying to figure out if it was 400 million years ago when we came out of soup. Yeah, maybe that was, you know, the 80s conception. Mm-hmm. Yep, 79. Oh, yeah, 79. Life started on this planet in 3.7 billion years yeah. ago. That's what I was thinking. That's when the soup happened. Yeah, that's pretty far off on the time scale of things. Mm-hmm. So maybe, you know, this wasn't that fixed point in time, and mm-hmm. the doctor was just mistaken. No, <laughs> he wasn't mistaken. He just wanted a reason in that case. All right, but I think we can assume that at least for the plot purposes of this story. <laughs> yeah, and it may have been scientifically accurate from what we knew and had evidence of at the time it came out. This is actually a truth that... As we've, as we've evolved our understanding in science, we've learned a lot since then. So we can't begrudge on this. Yeah, we've also learned a lot about, you know, 
um, how to how to tell better stories too. Mm-hmm. Classic eras to, to future eras. But Although the story was one, told really well. Yeah, I mean, there's there's elements that we have to steal from in the past, and this is a great template to take from. I mean, um, there's there's a lot of strong elements here. It's a consistent plot story. There's mm-hmm. great humor um, involved, and you know it it tells you know a meaningful story with good entry. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and. Also, you know, we haven't even mentioned very much of art in here, like mm-hmm. that masterpiece that Romano ruined at the very beginning, mm-hmm. where the guy drew her as a broken clock, but then, because she moved, just got very frustrated and crumpled up his paper and threw it at her like he was so pissed. That, he was so, <laughs> the indignation he had in his face, like, he just looked and just frowned, and he, like, you could tell there was eye contact looking at her. You ruined this. <laughs> Who would react like that? But then it was so unnice, he had to do it twice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. And the Mona Lisa's. So they've got... Which one? Yeah, this is a fake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> written on the Louvre now. We should t- definitely check it out. Make yeah. Sure. Yeah, I mean, we, we gotta be checking this stuff all the time. I'm wondering who actually in Paris, France, watched this Doctor Who story and then had the inspiration to go and actually check the Mona Lisa. Oh, I, yeah, I they let you walk into the Louvre with an x-ray machine? I'm talking about the people that actually <laughs> work with the, the in the Louvre and that actually... Yeah, now I'm wondering <laughs> the people who go and, and they watch this episode that are in France and they're like, hey, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Um, by the way, uh, at the time, here's a really cool fact about this story. At the time that this was broadcast, ITV, which was BBC's major um, rival back in the day, went black because they had some sort of industrial action going on. And so this actually was the highest rated Doctor Who story ever, as well as Whoa. part four ended up getting 16.1 million people watching it. Because there was nothing else to watch. <laughs> The, that's the highest ever rating for a Doctor Who episode, including all of new Doctor Who. Wow. So this... Again, they had nothing else to watch. I mean, they got a good show. Well, that... Th- this the, was a, a great story, though. Yeah, and the ratings went from, like, 12.4 all the way up to 16.1. So everybody these really got into it. These countries. I bet these shows have astronomical ratings. And yeah, when you have a few choices, and there's not—I mean, sixteen point one million in England is quite a lot, or in Great Britain, I should say. That—that—that's yeah. a heck of a lot of people. I mean, that's a lot of people anywhere. Well, not quite here, I guess, but. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's still a lot to watch surprised. a show. Like that's still a, a great number. A lot, of, a lot of shows try to get to two million this, these days. There's because there's so many different things to watch in the world. True. Um, but I mean, just to put it in perspective, uh, I think the last episode of Roseanne, which was at the, came out at the same time as Doctor Who, the TV movie, generated 26 point something million people in mm-hmm. the United States yeah. watching it all at the same time. Yeah. And you know, we can talk so. about the Super Bowl every year. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, there's that's like 35 of, to 50 million yeah, people there. Regardless, it's significant number. <laughs> exactly. So, but I mean, we numbers. Yeah. England just doesn't have the population that we do. If they did, there'd be problems. Indeed. Well, definitely housing issues. They already have that. I know. (laughs) (laughs) And they're not alone. No, they're not. But at any rate, well, at that point, I guess it's time to rate. At, At this point? 
Well, we could keep going. Well, no, no, Michael. I will jump in. But I, I've said a lot already, I think, that just really encompasses how I feel about this episode. I think it's rock solid, sturdy plot, um, consistent flow of episodes, and in Doctor, Doctor Who classic, I think that that can be a common problem. This certainly didn't have it. Um, consistent good humor sprinkled throughout in different kind of fun veins. Um, an, an all-star cameo hilarious moment with John Cleese. Um, I did like the, uh, the enemy here. I think it also gave a lot of good intrigue and, and different kind of philosophical, you know, thoughts to the background and different origins and, you know, trading um, one species for another. You know, some things end, others begin. Um, I thought it was a beautiful story. Um, for me, this isn't, this isn't going to get a, a 10 out of 10, um, but I think it's quite close. I, I think it justly deserves a 9 out of 10 in my view, and that's where I'm sticking with it. All right, I'm going to go next. Um, yeah, I agree with what Colin said. I felt that, you know, there were a lot of, you know, unnecessary shots of them just, like, walking or running around Paris that <laughs> were probably very impressive at the time because they went there and stuff, but it was like, uh, it, yeah, it, it, it could have it been cut out. Um, I love Douglas Adams, man. He really shone in this. He, it's, you know, phenomenal humor, phenomenal drama, and the story just came together and was, you know, really, you know, an airtight story that also was extremely interesting the whole way through. And I've actually seen this story several times, and even knowing everything that happens, it's still, like, just as interesting to watch it, and I think that's a hallmark of a really good one. Um, I also can't give it a 10 out of 10 just because I do feel like some parts of it dragged a bit. Also, they didn't really explain. Like, they started at the beginning being like, oh, the randomizer on the TARDIS, who knows where we'll end up? And then the doctor accurately flies the TARDIS to exactly where he wants several times during the story. That's, that's a classic doctor. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, so I am I'm going to give this a 9.5 out of 10. Okay, Michael, I know I don't want to put you in a stress to be next. I will go ahead and make sure you get to be last again. Will you just go? All right. <laughs> so for me on this one, I loved it. And all the story beats are really, really good. And I guess I'm probably going to be the lowest rated one on this one. But there's a couple things. The way that I just feel, I don't know, the time paradox for me, because humans can't exist without this one guy, plus he did the fire... He helped the Egyptians. He helped... It, it, it's one of those things when, like, oh, the alien helped you develop all the monument... All the things that really led to human, like, development. All the most human-y things. Yes. Are from him, basically, in the end. So while he is the villain of this episode, humanity just would not have even done anything from this point. Plus, I there's, like, a few little points that just kind of get to me. But again... Those are just my only gripes, really. I honestly wanted to say, the other reason I'm going to knock down, oh, I would love to see a split personality or a character from through time again. Like, done better. A little bit, see what else you do with it. Because I felt they did a lot of cool things with it, but they could have done more. Um, beyond that, though, again, the humor was great. Dugan was the most, most powerful puncher in the, in the world. <laughs> Literally, he literally reshaped reality, humanity. Or, well, he was, in, he was an instrumental in making humanity went forward. Just one punch. Preserve the human race. The original one punch. Okay. 
So I he's was... not even bald. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh God! Someone should definitely do a um, video retake of those of all of his punches and do with the the original theme song from One Punch. <laughs> Anyhow, I would say eight point five, just because I think there was that much room where they could just tighten up the story or explore the. The concept of having a character which just is like living 12 different lives at once, in essence. Yeah, opportunities mm. that were missed. I think I would disagree. I think that would take a little too long. And I think if you wanted to do it, you could have like maybe a whole season dedicated to eat one life or multiple lives. Oh, stretch it out a bit more, I could see that. But in an hour and a half, there's only so much that you can do, in my opinion. And I think that with, and for instance, there were actually three writers for the story. So that it was very easy for them to make it a very strong, strongly written story. Um, with that said, I think that part of the appeal of this story is more the characterizations and the humor that ensue. Mm -hmm. And if you take too much time on the 12 lives of Scaroth, I think you're going to lose some of that to begin with. You're going to have to take time away from Duggan. You're going to have to take time away from the doctor doing his spiel. You're going to have to take time away from Kerensky and all the present day stuff that they really had to concentrate on in this particular story. Because there's only four episodes, so let's get through it. I think that the direction in this was really well done, including the Paris sequences. The, the 1970s Muzak that was accompanying it was a little bit weird, but especially the first episode, because all that ten, tense music, when they're just walking across the street, I felt like, what's going to happen? Is someone going to get run over? <laughs> Jump it, out of the... Exactly. But I mean, for instance, they did have music in this that wasn't typical of Doctor Who, like the Countess's theme. And I think when they went back in time, they had some really beautiful music that was being, that was being done. I, I very much, a, a lot of people, or Doctor Who fans, tend to think that this is overrated. I don't. I think this was spot on. I don't think it's perfect, but I do think it deserves a 9.8 out of 10. This is probably, Whoa, this is definitely up there in Shelby, the best Doctor Who episodes of all time. And no, I don't rate every episode higher than everybody else, Jeremy. Sometimes I but, rate them lower. But you have, on occasion, uh, you know, given us the business about doing ratings that are not a 0.5 or whole number. <laughs> no, I've never said anything about point. Have just as long as we're not have like... Have been gone this long? Yeah, you have, man. You've been gone almost a decade. I know. I know. But it doesn't feel like I've been gone this long. These are the same conversations we had before. Yeah. <laughs> we have not changed. We are static. <laughs> but that's... You just stepped out of a TARDIS. You know? Well, there you go. Yeah, I mean... it's, it's been about a decade for you. For us, it's been a few days. <laughs> a few days? Just a few days? Yeah. <laughs> I seriously blinked and then I got a message. Come on over. <laughs> I will say this. It has been an absolute joy and pleasure to have you back on today's podcast, Jeremy. It's been a pleasure. We should do it again. Yes, and we definitely, it is a good throwback to yesteryears. Um, You're such a throwback. (laughs) More the experience, not the person. (laughs) 
Okay. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a good night, y'all. Bye. Bye.